part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Again, this is probably, uh, I, I put out a, a word a couple weeks ago and said, hey, tell me some of your favorite, favorite psalms and, uh, and if you'd like to share a little testimony uh, about it. And uh, I heard from many. And Psalms 91 was down there for a lot of people. And today Sherry's going to be sharing her testimony about what this means in, in her life and just how that impact of these precious words that we have here uh, impacted her life on that personal level. But as we open up to Psalms 91, I, I want to kind of paint a picture first uh, kind of in a categorical way. Um, if you took all the religions of the world, there's a lot of different ways that you could sort these different religions. I'm talking about all the religions of the world. You would be able to say, okay, there's those that believe in one God, and then there's those that believe in many gods. Hindus, they believe in many, 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 many thousands of gods. Okay? So you could classify all the world religions into, okay, how many gods do you serve? Is it just one true God or is it many, many gods? There would even be some religions, uh, by the loose term of that word, that would believe in no God. And you're going, okay, how can a religion believe in no God? There's actually some that don't believe in God, but it's a religious mindset that they have. Now, you would also be able to separate churches, uh, or if you want to say religions, different religions, on what they believe about salvation. How do you get to know this God? And there would be many, many churches, and there would be many, many denominations, many religions that said, okay, you accomplish this, through works of yourself. You do this, 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 and this, and, and you will get to know God. And you, more than that, you will be accepted by God if you do these things. Christianity, as far as I know, stands alone in this one, and that we say, okay, no, it's not our works, but it's very much the work of Jesus Christ, of one that God sent, and it separates us really from every other world religion. And that our trust is not in our ability to somehow make the mark for God, but that he has made that mark for us completely through the finished work of Christ. All kinds of different ways that you can start to kind of classify the, the, the religions of the world. But another way that you could classify is what did they believe about hitting hard times? Some religions out there that believe in escapism. That somehow, if God is doing what he's supposed to, that he's going to take you to a place where he really you don't have troubles in your life. This sort of nirvana where it's just kind of, you know, okay, there's a nothingness there. But all pain and all that is taken away. There would be others that would start to talk about, no, you could class us, classify us as warfare people. There is evil in this world, and we are going out there taking names and kicking tail. I mean, you could very much, you can see by their mindset that their whole kind of mindset is that we're in this world of evil and we're out there and we are battle, 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 battle every day. When we begin to ponder what is the biblical perspective, but what does a Christian, one who's following Jesus Christ, what does the gospel say about dealing with everyday pain, trouble, chaos in our lives? Is it one of escapism? Has God given us some kind of a promise that said, if you're a really good Christian, if you follow Jesus Christ, he's going to take all your pain away and you're just going to have kind of a walk through the rose garden. Has he called us into warfare? 
Yes, we can certainly go to Ephesians 6 and other places and know that there are going to be times that as a Christian believer that we are going to be in warfare. And yet, what is the predominant voice of the Bible? What is the predominant word of God concerning when your life and my life is full of chaos, upset, trouble, and crisis? We find that answer in Psalm 91. You could describe this in many, many different ways, but it's not one of escapism. It's not even one of personal warfare. But what you're going to find in Psalm 91 is going to be reflective of so many other psalms and so many other writings in God's word, even the words of Christ himself. Again, I'm not saying that there's not a time that God is going to truly take the trouble away from us. There are going to be times like that. In his mercy and his grace, he's just going to take that trouble and that chaos out of our lives. I'm certainly not saying that there's not times that we need to gear up, and as it says in Ephesians 6, to stand. But even that warfare, when we put on the armor of Christ, it is what Christ has done. It is not you and I getting out our guns and getting out our you know, strengths and ability and somehow trying to put Satan in his place. But what we see really is the mentality, the principle, is, is found in the first two verses of Psalm 91. So as we read this, think, how does a Christian handle chaos, upset, terrible times, difficulty, and storms in their life? Answer we find in verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The the author is saying that it's not really escapism from the trouble. It's not that God is always going to come and say, okay, that job was difficult. Here is a brand new job. And by the way, you're making 50,000 more each year. I mean, wouldn't that be great? If if God gave a multiple choice test, wouldn't that would be, okay, man, I'm, I'm selecting A. If you have sickness in your life, you're dealing with cancer, you're dealing with other difficulties. And one of the choices in this multiple choice was, you know, just to be rid of this altogether. Guys, who wouldn't select A? And certainly there are times that God in his miraculous grace and mercy and the power that he has sends that person back to the doctor and the doctor's mouth drops and the doctor says, I can't believe it. There's no cancer here. God does that. But he doesn't do it every single time. But what is the, the answer? Verse 1 and 2. Man, I, I'm your hiding place. I'm your security. I, I'm, I'm a strong tower. In the midst of danger, you can come running to me. What we find is the biblical answer more times than not is not going to be the absence of danger, but that God has just made a promise, hey, I'm with you in the midst of that danger. And I'm your security. I'm your, you know, he says here, my refuge and my fortress. And it makes him respond. He said, and and that's where I'm going to trust. Grasp this principle, Christian, because... As we go out there, again, I know what we're going to pick if it's just a multiple choice. The elimination of of terrible things, 
the, the elimination of chaos in our life, of anything that would bring a frown instead of a smile, that we're going to say, okay, let's just pray that God eliminates that. And there will be those times that he will do that, but there will be many times he says, look, I want to show you not my strength by taking this away. I want you to see my strength because I'm going to hold you through this whole entire storm. And I'm not going to let go. What has he promised more than escapism? More than just kind of giving us some more armament to go in there and and battle? He's promised himself. He's promised himself. His peace. What did Jesus say? I don't give you peace like the world gives you peace. I give you my peace. That was his prayer. That was this priestly prayer for us before he goes to the cross. He says, this is the kind of peace that I want you to have. Not as the world knows peace. How does the world know peace? That all of a sudden that predicament, that problem was gone. That's how the world knows peace. And he says, I'm going to give you my peace. What was his peace? He's about to take on the whole sins of the entire world, folks. And yet he marches on to the cross in victory. What looks like chaotic defeat becomes victory because he knew that his father, this was his father's will. I didn't take the cross away from him. Even when this plead, if there's another way, if this cup can pass for me, and yet it's the father's will that he goes on to the cross. That's the peace that he prayed for. His protection, his sufficiency. This is where the author makes his own statement of belief. Uh, Notice what he says in there. He says, uh, see the highlighted words? He says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Brittany, I really appreciate your text this week. She, was, she had some great insight to, to Psalm 91 too, some stories on her own life. And part of it was that, of just God personalizing that, of just showing you in his word that, man, you know, this is, it's not name it, claim it, but it's just, hey, we do have to put, it's our trust that we're putting into him. See, this is what the author gives us here, not this theory but he gives us his own personal experience. He says, okay, verse 1, here's the promise. Here's the principle that you can believe in, but here's my own experience. I know that he is a fortress, that he's a refuge. Why? Because I've run to him, and I've found sanctuary there. Any parents ever get advice, especially parents of of young kids, have you ever gotten advice from non-parents? Isn't it really cute? Let's just call it cute. You know, here they are, they're 25, 30-something, and they're in the restaurant, and you're in the restaurant, and your kids are maybe acting up just a little bit. And they, they just feel whatever it is. I don't know that it's really the leadership of God just to come over and say, you know, we notice your kids and everything, Andy, and, and we just want you to know, um, maybe if you made them sit down and use their quiet inside voice, that, that maybe that would work. And where are your kids? Oh, we don't have any. <laughs> You know, that's just a fun time of life. You want to say, hey, do you want to take mine for the next 48 hours? Because I promise you, I promise you, if you take my kids for the next 48 hours, you're going to come back, not with theory, but you're going to come back with going, what in the world do we do? <laughs> this is not, we don't know if David wrote this. We don't know if Moses wrote Some theologians think that Moses wrote it. And you're going, Moses wrote some of the Psalms? Yeah, he wrote Psalms 90. If we just go back one, Moses wrote that Psalm. 
Some think that this is kind of a continuation of that thought and that Moses perhaps wrote this one also. Others think that maybe David did. We, we don't know because it's never told to us. And really, it doesn't matter because we could personalize it to Moses. We could personalize it to David or anybody else because this is not the story of just one man. This isn't just the story of one life. This is the story of the life that we have in Christ Jesus. This is your life and my life. We will have trouble. And it's how do we respond? What is our hope in the midst of that? And so the author comes back and he says, look, I'm not giving you theory. I'm actually giving you my own experience. I want you to begin to, to, to notice. I wish we had time to really go verse by verse in every intricacy of this because there's really some really great nuances in this psalm. But because of time, and I'm going to give Terry plenty of time, this morning I, we're going to look at just a few things that I think is just mind-blowing when we really put it into application. Look at verse 5 and 6. Before I read it, let me ask you this question. When you're facing anxiety and stressful times and chaos and, and sickness and financial troubles and relationship problems, this, that, and the other, you know, when there's just friction in your life, what's harder, the day or night? And, and I'm not asking that. I mean, just kind of shout out, you know, if you don't mind sharing. Day or night? Okay, a lot of people would say night. Okay, both. Yeah. Why, why both, Eric? I mean, if it's, if, if it's really heavy on your mind and heavy on your heart, it's often true. Yeah. Hard to get away from. Yeah, there's a part of it that in the day, I mean, when there's trouble there, okay, if you're stuck in the middle of a jungle, a wild jungle, what is harder, day or night? You would think night because you can't see what's out there. But the problem with day is that you can see what's out there, okay? So when this huge snake or when this big panther comes up or whatever it is, and you're sitting there going, okay, he's right down the road there and he can, he's coming this way. At night, there's a fright of what is out there. I can't see anything beyond my hand here. So what is out there? Day or night, would we not agree? It's trouble. When you have chaos, when your life is a jungle, there is something that is very fearful about the day because you can see what is happening. The doctor did say you have cancer. The boss did say we no longer need your services. Your wife did say I don't love you anymore. That's really hard, guys. And yet the night when things are quiet and still and all you hear is just kind of the, the, the faint noises the background, it's amazing how loud that anxiety can become. And your mind go wild in the darkness of that night. What has what God said about that? Look at verse 5 and 6. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor what? The error that flies by day. He said, at night you don't know if the enemy is out there or not. In the daytime, there's an arrow and you say, man, it's coming right at me. He said, no, you're not going to fear the, the things you can see that you know that are there. You're not going to fear the things you can't see because of darkness. Nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Do you see what he's saying here? That whether it is the unknown of the night or the known of the day, God has you. God has you. I mean, I would agree with most of you that the night, 
When, when there's a lot of anxiety in your life, the nights seem to be very, you know, you can't sleep, this, that, and the other. And yet, Eric, I think you've nailed it when you said, you know, the daytime, that mind's working pretty good too because you see the arrow. And here God has said, I give you refuge. I give you a place to run from the things you can see and the things you can't see, the things that are of day and the things that are of night. In fact, in that very first verse, there was actually a, a kind of a word there that is so beautiful in the Hebrew. Uh, in the first verse, we said, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That Hebrew word for abide literally would be to lodge. In other words, to sleep. And it wasn't talking about just kind of, you know, hey, you go in there and you get a quick meal and then you go on your way. Uh, the word that's in, in Hebrew used to abide means you're sleeping overnight, if not for several days, if not for several weeks. And so what is this promise that God gives us that he's, okay, you can lodge here. Wouldn't it be great if every problem was solved in one day? See, that's the fallacy of, of, of TV. Dilemma and the answer. But do you know that sometimes even, and, and I say this so respectfully, so please hear the entire statement. But you know, we can, we can even fall into that trap biblically sometimes. We go back there to the life of Joseph. Joseph gets thrown in jail. A couple of verses later, oh, hooray, he's out. And we go, oh man, that was years and years and years that he was in that prison. But we read it in three verses, four verses. And so sometimes, because the Bible doesn't give us every detail of what happened in Joseph's life, Moses' life, David's life, or anybody else, even the life of, of the New Testament people, because we don't see day by day, 24-7, what we see, hey, here's the problem. Hey, God answered. Everything's good. And one day, if we were to summarize our life, maybe we could really say that too. That looking back on 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, we'd say, hey, here's the problem. Here's how God solved this. In one way, Sherry, isn't that kind of the challenge of a testimony this morning? It's like all these things have happened, and how do I take all these things in the two or three minutes that the pastor has given me? You know, How do I do this? And yet we will hear the victory of what Christ has done, and yet the challenge will be, oh, wow, Man, she prayed it and it was delivered, or whatever it is. I haven't heard her testimony, but, you know, and we know, hey, that's, that's not how it was. The promise here isn't quick solutions. He says, man, lodge here. Lodge here. Hey, you got teenagers? Lodge here. You're going to have to lodge here the next several weeks, uh, uh, years. Hey, you're going through this difficulty? You're going to have to lodge here for a long time. In the middle of all this chaos, he says, you can lodge here. And and notice what he says. It's not at the Bates Motel, guys, okay? It's not this kind of freaky place. He says, okay, lodge here. No, he says, you come to a fortress. You come to a refuge. Now, so far, that sounds pretty easy, that we just kind of look to God, we run to God, and all we have to do is run to him and trust him. Is that really the answer? Well, yes and no. And stay with me on the yes part and the no part, okay? The yes part is, yes, God is and will keep every one of those promises. You run to him and he will be your refuge. He will be this fortress. He will be a place where you can have sanctuary, where you can lodge for days, for for months, hopefully for the rest of your life. But there is a no part of that and that it's not going to be without challenge to your faith. 
if it was always so easy just to, to read the verse and say, okay, yes. And in one way it is because all the work is finished in Christ. But how many of y'all have been challenged in your faith, let's say in the last seven days, of a truth that you already knew and yet you had to exercise faith in that truth? So that's where we live as Christians. So the answer is yes. In one way, it is this easy because the promise is that sure. But the answer is also no if we just think that it's going to be a simple walk in the park and oh, let's just run to Christ and now we can just kind of sit here. That there won't be a challenge of your faith. You know, when they say you don't have a job here anymore and you have the responsibility of raising three kids and you have a house payment and you have this, guys, there's a challenge to your faith. You can say all day long, I know that God is going to protect. I know that God's going to do this. You can say that, believe it, and God will give you refuge and sanctuary, and you will be a fortress, and you can lodge there. But to think that you're not in the day or in the night going to have some thoughts, oh, my goodness, i got one paycheck left. That's not saying that, that, we're, stru- you know, that, that we're forced into struggle. Well, what it's making sure is that... We, We trust. That's why he says, here's what God is, and I place my trust in him because my emotions and even the logic of the world isn't always going to agree with the answer that I truly have security here. I don't know how I'm going to pay my electric bill, but I can trust in him that he's going to make provision. Look at verse 9 and 10. If you read this in isolation without any other part of of this chapter, it almost seems like a name it, claim it kind of thing, and it's not. I'll tell you right up front, this is not name it, claim it. It almost sounds like escapism, that God is just going to, you pray about it, and God's going to take all difficulty away. Listen to what it says, verse 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Now, is there a notion in those verses that seems that, okay, if you're hiding with with Christ, that he's going to take all, you know, no harm's going to come to your tent. When we read the fullness of that, when we take it into context, even take it into New Testament context in just a second, what we find is not the promise that God's just going to take all difficulty away. It's the promise, as we've already stated, that he's there with us, but also that nothing will ever befall us that is not out of his sovereign hand. I can say before you this morning that I am a God. I am a guy that, that knows that God is sovereign, but I have not always trusted his sovereign hand. There are times I have argued with God. I have been Job, and I have been Jonah, and I have been this one and that one because God had a way that he wanted me to go, and I'm going, God, that just that doesn't look right. It doesn't feel good. Evil is going to befall me just because he said he's a shelter, just because he said that he's a refuge, just because he said you can lodge here day and night doesn't mean that it's not going to come without the exercise of that faith. What what helps us? That we just have super faith? No, that we know the one who we put our faith in. God has not required you to have super faith. But he's required you to have childlike, simple faith, but in his character, his design, his purposes, and his sovereignty. And when we get that right, all of a sudden, even childlike faith 
looks like it has muscles. What he's promising here is that he will not allow his ways for your life or for my life to be thwarted. It is not the promise of utopia. It is not a a promise of escapism. It is a promise of a sovereign God that says, I will be with you and I will be working in the midst of chaos. How do we know that? How do we know that this is the right interpretation of that and not just some name it, claim it, hey, if I trust enough, God's going to take all these things away. Look at the next two verses. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Anybody ever heard that before? Where else do we hear that? Yeah. Jesus begins his earthly ministry by the call of God. He goes out there, 40 days of not eating, 40 days of in the wilderness, and, and Satan comes along and begins to tempt Jesus, and he has one mindset. That is, I'm going to get Christ, I'm going to get Jesus to, to thwart the plan of God. And so he throws these temptations at, at Jesus. And Satan actually quotes Psalms 91. Look, look what he says, Matthew 4, 6. And said to him, that is, Satan is now addressing this to, to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And what does he quote? Psalm 91. Now, what is Satan's purpose there? To thwart the call of God upon Christ. How does Jesus answer? Verse 7, Jesus said to him, again, it is written. Hey, you read one part? Let me, let me add another part in there, Satan. Just give clarity to it so you don't take it out of context. It's also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. In other words, there's a part of us, guys, when we want escapism, that we may want in our desire of, of circling in that multiple choice answers, escapism, make all these problems go away, that we're thwarting what God is doing to mature us, to, to grow us, or to be a testimony for him among other people. It may have nothing to do with you, but it may be very much to show somebody else, your neighbor, a friend, a family member, hey, here is the power of Christ. Not the power of Andy when he gets into trouble, but here's the power of Christ in Andy. Not the power of Sherry to be able to be positive. Let's just think good thoughts. But the power of Christ in Sherry in the midst of that chaos. That's the promise. How do we know that? Because Christ is going to go to the cross, guys. He does not get a walk in the park. He does not get Rose Garden. He gets the cross in all of our sins. See, here's the promise, guys, and let's conclude. The promise is not the elimination of the foe, but protection in the struggle, purpose in the struggle, and that he's with you in the struggle. Brothers and sisters, please hear this. Satan will try to speak, as he did there in the wilderness, but who gets the last word? Who gets the last word? Look at the last two verses. Verse 
Now, this is God talking. So far, we've had the psalmist is writing, and he's writing at first, hey, here's my own experience. Then he goes into, hey, here's my encouragement for other believers. And now we get back down to these last three verses. And what we find here in the last three verses is God now speaks. So these are the words of God. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer to him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Again, is he saying, okay, he's going to take all the problems out? No, is what he said is, man, I've got a promise bigger than you could ever imagine. I've got something that's not just this long life. He says, he points to eternity. He said, man, I, I got you forever and ever and ever. What you're going through today, man, run to me. Find refuge in me. Lodge here. But I've got this. Jerry, will you come and, and uh, I really, 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 I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being willing to share. Because any time that we begin to share from our life in a big group setting, it's one thing if we're sitting, you know, in the couches and around the, the fireplace or something, but it's a whole other thing to say, man, here's, here's what God has done in my heart. So I appreciate it so much. What does Psalms 91 mean to you? Well, I have to say that I wish I knew I had more time because my notes would be a lot longer. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously I've tried to narrow it down to just what specifics. But um, I go to Psalm 91 um, because it speaks, it tells of the protection for those walking in Christ. I get discouraged a lot because I feel like the grants are under attack all the time, which that I wasn't going to cry. But my faith has been tested this week, so that's just where I am. But um, this psalm tells me that um, the closer I walk with him, the more I am under that protection. It's like a huge umbrella, and the closer I walk to the center, the more I am guarded. The attacks won't stop coming, but it's not going to remove me from that security of being guarded under him. Psalm 91 tells me that in, in him I find a place of refuge, a retreat. Who doesn't need a retreat? <laughs> in, in Psalm 91, it tells me that he is the faithful shield and bulwark. I wish you would have used that word because it's so cool. It talks about how um, the bulwark is a barrier wall like they built on forts back in the 17 and 1800s. And um, he's that wall. He's not going to let things come at me. That, aren't, that he is not going to protect me from. In him, I don't have a need to fear. And in him, I'm satisfied. I love that you went to those verses because if you don't have satisfaction in Jesus, the, you're, you don't know what you're missing. You, your walk needs to be changed, uprooted or something. Um, but a couple weeks ago, we took the youth to something that was a little scary, and um, I just love how God uses these things. And uh, I held one of the girl's hands the whole time, and she was a little scared, but I told her, stay close to me and you'll be okay. Um, we tell our children that all the time. We're walking through the parking lot, and you're like, stay close to me. You'll be fine, um, you know, on the sidewalk or whatever. But this psalm is God telling us the same thing. Stay close to me and you'll be okay. Um, it also reminds me of the story. Um, I think most of you have probably heard the story of the forest fire and the mama bird. Um, the mama bird 
spreads out her wings over her two baby chicks that are too little to fly away and out of the sto- out of the fire. So when the fire is completely out, they find this mama bird. She didn't make it out, but those babies did. They were still alive under her wings. Um, thankfully, God doesn't die protecting us. But I mean, just, just that picture of that he, he's not willing to move. He's never going to move that protection away from us. If I'm, at, if I'm not protected, it's because I've moved, but not because he's moved. He never m- removes that protection. Um, I think my favorite verse of the whole chapter is verse 14, and it's, um, it's God talking, and it's one that Bobby just put up there. It says, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. This verse tells me that because I love him, he's going to deliver me and make me secure. It's my choice to walk in his protection or to walk out in the storm, in the chaos. Um, But he delivers. I read Psalm 91 as a reminder to walk in that promise. So my testimony is, is that no matter what comes at me, I have a place to go. But the challenge is to remember and choose to go there. Now, if this catches on, y'all will want me to, you will not want me to preach every week and just have different people come up and share their testimony because they're powerful. It's what we saw earlier. Here's the theory, but here's what I've experienced. And that's why testimonies are so powerful in our life because it's not just, okay, here's the principle. Hope you got it. No, here's what I've seen God do in my life. And this lady and many others could tell you story after story after story that lived this Last picture, and then we're going to sing a song uh, based on kind of in the flavor of those last three verses. Can we show that uh, picture there? Uh, I collect lighthouses. Um, in my old office, I had over like 150 lighthouses. I uh, don't have that anymore as far as all the lighthouses. They're all in a box, in our boxes. And yeah, this was one of those pictures that uh, people, they found out that you like lighthouses. And go, have you ever seen this picture? I said, yeah, I've seen it. It's pretty cool, isn't it? And I don't know if you noticed there, but if we get a little bit closer, we begin to see that there's actually a guy out there, okay? And, you know, when we have the, the, the backdrop, you see all these storms and these angry waves. And yet this guy doesn't really look all that frightened right there, even though all these waves are around him. And I've always loved that particular lighthouse and that picture that this photographer took because I always thought of Psalms 91 and others like that. That, yeah, there is chaos around us. There's death around us. There's destruction around us. And yet in that fortress, there is safety. And there can be calmness even in the midst of that storm. This psalm is really a messianic, what we call a messianic psalm. You may not have heard or seen the word of Christ there as far as the name Christ, but it's one of those that points us that who's the ultimate refuge? Who's the ultimate shelter? Who do we lodge in right now in our security of what we believe? It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so this psalm written hundreds of years before Christ would ever come is pointing to him. And so what we're going to do as we leave today is we're going to sing this uh, song that just praises God that he gave us Jesus Christ. And that will serve as our prayer. That will serve as uh, uh, just our uh, going out. In school, in in seminary, they teach you, okay, preach the word and the flavor that it was written. 
Psalms 91 was written as victory. It is not what we call one of the Psalms of Ascents necessarily, you know, but it was a battle song, and it is a victory song. So would you stand, and we're going to sing this last uh, song. It may be familiar to you, it may not, but it is a victory song. It really is. And so let's sing it in the way that, you know, we want to re- it reflect the power of this word, that we sing it today in, in victory. The altar is open. You can come and pray. Maybe you just want to be able to do that this morning. But uh, sing this in victory as we sing it as a prayer of thanksgiving to a, such a wonderful God. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.